folks. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, it is Wednesday, uh, July 24th, and we have as our guest an old friend, Dr. Jeffrey Lenn, L-E-N-N, who is Professor of Strategic Management and Public Policy at George Washington University. And our topic today is balancing principles and profits in the workplace. And we all, first of all, welcome, Jeff. Cindy, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. I know you have had a wonderful summer. Now back to work. You yes, lucky, that's you right. You lucky person, you. But, you know, we are bombarded with rhetoric from both sides, from all sides, uh, around issues that are impacting the core of what America supposedly means. And I think the core of America's values and some of those values we uh, we identify uh, Henry Ford with, you know, who manufactured Ford cars and made them affordable enough that people could buy them <laughs> and that pay people enough so they could purchase them. And some people who who are looking at you know um, their allegiance to the stockholder and cutting costs at all costs. So. Jeff is going to be discussing some of those issues and how we reconcile them and can we reconcile them, the issues of balancing principles and profits in maintaining a sustainable middle class, but also maintaining an ethical uh, economic platform. Is that where we're going to go with this Jeff? Yes, that's right. Okay. Let me tell you, folks, Jeff is, uh, he's been on the faculty of Boston College. He's been at the University of Massachusetts, the University of Connecticut, and he also was a Fulbright uh, professor of management at the People's University in Beijing, China, which we, I want to ask him more about later on. He holds a BS in economics from the Warden School, University of Pennsylvania, and an MS from Yale, and a PhD from Boston College. And it's interesting because our guest who we had yesterday is from Boston and also did some, went to Wharton School of Business. That was all Rosie to Wharton? Well, yes and no. (laughs) GW, right? GW. Yes, right. Okay. So what the first topic that we want to talk about, the theme is the constant pressure on management from two imperatives, gathering, adhering to ethical principles and maintaining profitability. Can it be done, and where are you seeing these push and pull of all of this? Well, first of all, Cindy, I have spent a career not only teaching but writing and also consulting uh, on just this issue around business ethics and spent a lot of time talking with managers about the kinds of decisions that they have to make. And it continues to come down to, as they describe it, um, the pressure from two imperatives, one being profitability, and that basically is from their role of making sure that the company is can survive and grow by being competitive in the market and generating a profit. So that's one side. The other side is a clear recognition that there are principles that need to be understood and adhered to. And these principles really are the societal norms that any society has. We call them ethical principles, those general guidelines um, and actually demands such as justice and honesty and caring. So the pressure that managers feel is this conflict between what they find themselves uh, doing and what, on one hand, society expects and what the market expects. And and a quick note on that, the market expectations here are a little different than those in most societies because the market 
focuses on pursuit of self-interest and constantly comes back to setting the standard that what's good for the company is what managers should do. And not that you leave society out, but the primary focus really is on what's good. And what we have translated that into now in our current society is really what is good for the owners, a concept of wealth maximization. So that's really that's really um, what I think is an important understanding of what management is all about, this constant pressure between the two and learning how to understand them and balance. Is this something fairly recent, this, this um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like the interest is tilting more in the favor of profit for the owners versus the recognition of the value for the worker or the community. Well, it's been around, I think, ever since the inception of capitalism when Adam Smith wrote his, his book back in 1776. Smith was a Scottish moral philosopher, interestingly enough. So if you read Smith carefully, you find there a recognition of what he was advocating in terms of the market, but also an understanding about the types of conflicts that are going to be faced by entrepreneurs or what we now call capitalists. So the expected conflict was projected when capitalism became the mantra for our country. But is it worse now? It seems that it feels like that it's worse now. It feels sometimes as if in the name of the stockholder, we owe everything to our stockholders, which I understand is not technically true, but we can say that for later. Things are being, decisions are being made that at one time we would have thought were very unethical. You know, laying people off. Just, just to save dollars for their stockholders when they didn't really have to. Am I, does that make sense? Yes, it does. And I think that's exactly one of the things that is uh, we have to take a look at because in the current economic situation and the social situation, we find that companies find themselves now with a heavy focus on making shareholders or owners primary. And with that, uh, profitability becomes the number one objective. And that begins to demonstrate itself then in terms of, of what, what companies are not willing to do or are, are fi- find themselves doing and they shouldn't be doing. Take into account, for example, the, the situation with labor conditions across the world, particularly in Southeast Asia, and all the exposés that come there. And then the interesting question, uh, are these companies responsible for what goes on there? The answer is yes. How are they going to change it? Well, companies have come out with different ways they're going to do it. And clearly, underlying that is, on both sides, is a focus on profitability. With companies saying, we have to be profitable, and critics saying, you have to be profitable, but within certain limits. But, you know, even in that example, there are questions that are being raised. And those questions are, okay, uh, uh, Nike or whomever, uh, it has fingers pointed at them because they're they're making shoes or whatever in Pakistan under uh, conditions that we would never even consider. And so they, you know, under public scrutiny, they close up. They close up that place, putting all those people out of work who never right, who right. have no other source of money, and, and then they move someplace else. So we're kind of caught in a conundrum then, aren't exactly, we? Exactly, yeah. So how so, do we resolve something like well, that? Well, let me, let me introduce something a little bit different, something I've been working on, which I would call balancing principles and profits. I'm going to introduce two other uh, words that begin with P, so we have alliteration here, and then make my argument that in order to, to balance this out, you really have to 
take these into account. The first element is products. So in thinking about principles and profits, not to forget that products are critical and companies are responsible for creating and distributing quality products or services to meet customer needs and expectations. So add that into the mix. And then secondly, add in people, what some scholars and actually some companies now call stakeholders. Who are the people who have a stake in the company itself? And this is where I I think it helps us illuminate some of the issues that are being faced. I think there are four primary stakeholder groups. They're customers, employees, owners or shareholders, and adding one more, the public. Um, Each of these groups has a stake in survival and growth of the company. And so, therefore, it's important to develop a strong and balanced relationship with each and all of the groups. So what what I'm going to suggest, Cindy, is that if we look at it in a little bit different way than simply balancing principles and profits, but we add in products and people to that mix, I think it would come up with both a different understanding of what's happening and a way out of the dilemma. Okay. We're going to continue this. This is very interesting. Uh, We're going to take a short break, folks. You're listening to The Workforce Show on Radio 1240 WCEM AM. Uh, You can also hear us streaming live at mtslive.com and like us on Facebook. Well, welcome back, everybody. We are having, for me, a great conversation, which I hope it is for you as well, on uh, balancing principles and profits in the workplace. So we have with us Dr. Jeffrey Lynn, L-E-N-N. He's Professor of Strategic Management and Public Policy at George Washington University School of Business. Uh, we, when, we, when we broke for break, Jeff was telling us about his his formula that he's kind of putting together that helps us see what the pieces are, you know, in this equation and how they actually come together, impact each other, and their impact on the bottom line. So do you want to review those parts of it and then, you know, talk, talk more about this? Sure. What, what I'm going to suggest here is something close to what many call a stakeholder model of the company itself. And the idea here is to take into account the broader context in which the company operates. So if you look at it this way, if you um, see the company uh, as two tiers, and at the base of that tier are the principles, uh, or you can say the values, those things really drive the company itself, the fundamentals. Of like, the, some, like make money or serving humanity? or Yeah, yeah. Uh, it would be the principles that's coming back to justice or caring or honesty or innovation or um, kind of competition. Those things that really drive the company. Ah, okay. And then on the top tier, you look at three elements, products, people, and, and profitability. So the products then are a result of trying to deal with these values or the ethical explanation, the, the, the ethical principles in relationship to the market. The people are, as I indicated, customers, employees, owners, and public that have to be taken into account. And then profitability really represents success. And some would suggest profitability, you have to add on to that market share and market position and research or, or return on investment. But if you take those three as the first tier, or as the second tier, with principles at the base, then I think you see the company in a little bit different way. Give me an example of how you would see it in a different way. If you had principles, say, of 
making profit? Okay, if you've got a principle of, uh, in, in this case, the profitability, uh, you have to be careful here because profitability really is not simply, it's simply not a principle. The principle here is to be competitive. That's really uh, what okay. you're trying to do. Okay. Profitability would be a measure of that. So thinking about that, then you begin to take a look at your competition in relationship to products. And you're constantly out there innovating, you're, you're working on your prices in order to be um, competitive. Uh, you have to then take into account your people. Customers are going to be the ones that you look at to buy your products. Employees are going to be the ones to make the products. Shareholders are going to be the ones who will profit from that. And important here also the public. The public then beginning to take a look at, at the products themselves and then profitability as a measure. At the product in terms of the quality and the value yeah, of that exactly, product to your own exactly life? Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So managers then find themselves caught, I think, in trying to take all of those into account. And as they take those into account, it comes back to this question of what I call balance. And that is to make sure that the company continues to survive and grow. But it has to be built on principles to begin with then good products, a commitment to people, and then profitability. So if you're looking at the pyramid and you're trying to, if the, if the principle is profitability, and then you have the piece on top of that, and you're finding that you're not as profitable as you wanted to be, under those four, actually it's four levels, profitability, et cetera, where do you adjust and how do you make those decisions to adjust that are ethical? Well, that's what uh, managers, that's what managers get paid for. They're the ones who have to respond to what's happening in the market. And in that process, they need to be careful about what they do. Let's take Nike as an example. Uh, Nike responding to a market um, with expectations of um, uh, high, high quality shoes. Let's take that as an example. And in that process, then it became a question of how you manufacture those shoes so that you can make a profit. Uh, that's where Nike initially was only a marketing company rather than a company that was uh, going to be in the business of producing. Actually, when I was in China, uh, the uh, CEO and uh, founder showed up in China, and I was meeting with the vice president of Nike at that point, and she was suggesting to him that in order to make a move into the Chinese market, he needed to build a, a plant in China. He said no, he was unwilling to do that because what he wanted to do is um, continue with Nike as a marketing company rather than a production company. He left China and went to Thailand and on to Vietnam to establish relationships there, subcontract with other companies to start making shoes. And and from that, of course, we have a continued uh, discussion about whether these subcontracts really are working fairly for the employees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't have to go that far. Uh, we had a, a situation in the D.C. area not too long ago with Smithsonian. And the workers struck because the contractors, because they knew how much the prime contractors were getting. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. that wasn't filtering down to the employee. So, so, so that would be that would be an example, I think, of a company. Let's take that Nike at that point, not now, but taking a careful look at one hand at products, 
and then at profitability, and then leaving out uh, employees, the, the people themselves, and also then coming back and getting hit pretty hard by the public. Mm-hmm. So public was actually their conscience. Yes. Uh, but the other side of it, and I, I don't want to get too off-center because these are all issues that we're going to be discussing and you're going to be discussing and helping us understand uh, in that model, and that's a good model for us to kind of to look at as an anchor as we discuss these issues of profitability and principles, that, yes, you sometimes you have to make hard decisions. We yes, had a guest uh, not too long ago who works in the government contracting space, and he shared with our listeners the, uh, the critical importance of having to make a hard decision about whether you let some of your, your staff go uh, or keep them on even though they're not billable. Right, and, right. But if they don't let them go, that can infect. That can it's almost like an infection. They have the company has to you know become less competitive. And therefore, they're going to lose contracts, and more people would have to go. I think people understand that. I think I think if if I if I were laid off or let go from a company, and I knew that you know some people had to let go, and I was you know the first one to go, I would I think I would understand that. What I don't understand though are when some of these decisions are made from what I view as real positions of greed. Mm-hmm. Am I, is that sometimes true? No, it is true. And I think that's another uh, current uh, situation which we find ourselves. And on one hand, there is necessity to respond to the market and make sure that your costs are in line with what they should be. But the difficulty in many companies, uh, a number of companies that have have laid people off or they've moved their facilities someplace else is that top management continues to make uh, what I'll call outrageous salaries. Yeah. Should we talk and about so banks? Executive, well, yeah. <laughs> no, we won't talk about banks. Go, the, go ahead. The executive compensation leads to a really interesting question of why you pay executives so much money and then you have to lay people off. And so there's that principle of justice that emerges. Uh, in, a, in a very interesting way, and looking carefully at the equity uh, or inequity among salaries in companies themselves. Well, uh, you raised a, a topic that I think is of great interest to many people, salaries. Uh, I know in many companies, in many government agencies, in many local state agencies, people who have not received salary increases for five years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I would try, and But nevertheless, taxes go up, tolls across bridges go up, everything goes up, and they're not, they're not getting any of this. These are public, but it's also true in in private or publicly held private companies and the ceo salary of course is one of the big issues it used to be i think correct me if i'm wrong uh the, the ceo would generally make 40 percent on the average more than the average salary in that company now it's like up to 240 yes, percent and and as you point out some of those companies aren't even profitable and then, you know, of course, our well-known person, uh, Machine Gun Dunlap. Yeah, Al Dunlap. Al Dunlap, who uh, cut, you know, costs, laid people off, then bought himself a multi-million dollar house. Um, 
How is that possible? I mean, how do, how do they justify that? And how do they expect if people aren't making a living wage or enough money, they can afford to buy the products that they're manufacturing? Well, that, that comes, Cindy, comes back to those four primary stakeholder groups. You have to take a look at customers, employees, owners, and the public. And very often, the uh, top management sees itself as only out for its own benefit. And that's where I think there's really a distortion in what's going on in the model of our current corporation, that we've allowed owners to uh, assume a privileged position, They uh, or, or the managers assume a privileged position. They then st- stack the board, and there's no, there really is no set of checks and balances. Mm-hmm. I think there are changes taking place here. But the principle of justice emerges here, and that is why are salaries so uh, uh, unequal? Uh, Jeff, I just got carried away, and therefore I went over my time for the break. So, folks, we will be right back. You're listening to The Workforce Show on uh, Radio 1240, WCEM, AM, and we're streaming live at mtslive.com, and like us on Facebook. Folks, welcome back. We're very engaged in a kind of getting emotional conversation about parity, equality, uh, fairness in the workplace today, uh, as well as how companies can make money. And we're talking to Dr. Jeff Lynn, who is with George Washington University. He's professor of strategic management and public policy. And I've known Jeff for a long time, and I know his area of, of expertise is ethics in organizations. And so this is particularly a timely conversation because the middle class is being really squeezed financially and from a number of different directions and we're trying to get a handle on a what is happening and perhaps what can be done about it Jeff, we were talking about the P's and the principles of the foundation and how you know people move around without as managers and executives without any portable principles that they're carrying other than self-serving principles. I'm going to throw it back to you and let you share with us some of the things you've observed and maybe some case studies of companies, the good and the bad, the ugly. Let me, let me talk about two companies that uh, have gone on, two successful companies that have gone through some interesting change. And in both companies, you do not have executives who have been misusing, I think, the companies, the company treasures themselves. But one company really has been an example of the imbalance, and the other, the company of balance management. I'm talking here about Walmart and Target. And just a brief look at each one of them. Walmart, starting as a small retailer in Arkansas town, and then developing a low-cost strategy with an aggressive push to become the number one retailer initially in America and then in the world. I think we know an awful lot about Walmart, whether we are inside or outside. In this case, I think they've become very successful from a profitability perspective, but unsuccessful in terms of their reputation. Walmart has been in the news all the time with all kinds of issues. Beginning in in 2004, 2005, with the change in leadership there, I think they're beginning to address these, but they still have a long way to go. Here's here coming back to my model. I think Walmart has put an overemphasis on products and profitability with only a limited focus on all the four people I've talked about. 
So on one hand, they focus on customers to provide the the lowest cost and then on owners for profitability. Missing is their focus on employees and then on the public. So Walmart has had a strategy of employing people, many half-timers, focus heavily on productivity and low wages and until recently really not much of a benefit package at all. What's surprising about Walmart is their disregard for the other stakeholder group, the public. They really have not cared very much until recently about their reputation with that aggressive strategy going into various communities and basically focusing on wiping out retail. So I would suggest that Walmart is a good example of management that really is imbalanced. And that's because they really have not taken this people uh, area very seriously. And if they were to, you have to question how much that really would impact the bottom line of their company. Because, yes. uh, you know, when you consider that, what what is it, 60 or 80 percent of the stock is owned by the Walton family? About 60 percent, yeah. 60 percent of the stock. So it's not like it's benefiting the public. But it is benefiting, it would seem to me, and I'm looking at the outside, is that if you people can't afford to shop anywhere else because they're not making money, you're kind of perpetuating your own customer base. Well, and Walmart, I think, is admirable in the sense of what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. But in that process, they find themselves now having dug themselves very deep into a hole and trying to deal with a reputation. So people do look at Walmart and say, yeah, low cost and decent products and services, but with a really shady reputation. And it's very interesting to talk with people about their perspective on Walmart. And my suggestion here that the imbalance comes because they have not taken seriously Mm -hmm. the employees and the public. Mm -hmm. The other side, if I can, is Target, which is a a good example of balanced management. Often forgotten is that Target really was the first retail discount store, began as an offshoot of Dayton Hudson Department Store, Hmm, which built a reputation in downtown Minneapolis. And they they decided that they would try an experiment, and that is, to open the store in a new shopping mall outside of Minneapolis, and that's where the story begins. Their strategy has been high-quality products at reduced prices, but they have taken into account both employees and the public. So they've taken the old Dayton Hudson values and focused on their target employees as associates, seeing them as partners in the, in the enterprise. And in that process, you find wages and benefits, which continue to attract and retain uh, employees. And then secondly, their commitment to the public has continued to be clear. They invest in, have a lot of activities, the local communities. So they have been more balanced in looking at that people side than we see in Walmart. If you look at Target, they are very successful. There is a reputation built on the foundation of what I'll call responsibility with that commitment to all the stakeholders. And on the other hand, if you look at their stock price, growth in stock price as they have grown overall in both in size and profitability. So, Cindy, I would say those are two examples 
You okay. mentioned Costco. Uh, they yeah. uh, We've had on twice before uh, Hedrick Smith. I don't know if mm-hmm. you know him. Yeah. He wrote the book, Who Stole the American Dream? And he's actually also done a documentary on Walmart for Frontline. But um, he also mentioned that Costco yep. represents the good guy, if you will. Yeah, and Costco is another example. I was just looking, watching a television program on that. And if you look at Costco, they've had the same kind of orientation which is, interesting enough, trying to do no more than 50%, 15% markup on all their goods and services. But if you look at Costco, their commitment is also to their employees. And in many cases, they are paying almost double in uh, various areas in terms of salaries, and the benefits are clear. So they, they clearly are a company that has that interest both employees and also in the public. Their reputation is very high. But let me ask you, all, you talked about three companies all in the same industry sector, retail. What is, what do you think defines why these three companies are different? And what does the, the supply chain do to impact the decisions and the pricing of the products for each of these companies? Because I know personally how Walmart really impact local communities by really negotiating down to almost nothing to vendors. Mm-hmm. In some cases, forcing vendors to go out of business. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what is the differences in terms of practice of these three companies? Uh, uh, twofold. One is if you look at the founders and what their vision was. In all three cases, the vision of what the company can become was pretty much the same, with, with different strategies, of course. Costco is very different from Walmart, for example. But on the other hand, the vision also included a recognition of what it would take really make it work. And in this case, I'm adding in customers, employees, the public, and the owners. Mm-hmm. And so you really have a balancing there that is extremely important. And, and I'd come back to a careful look at the principles, which is the guiding light here, the principle of justice, the principles of caring, principles of honesty that are critical to differentiating mm-hmm. companies. So if if the companies, these three companies, are articulating their principles, they are articulating them and acting on them through the people they hire? Yes. Mm-hmm. Through, what, through, through what other mechanisms are they articulating? Well, you see it in their mission statement, their vision statement. You see it in their willingness to partner in local communities, step up and help not-for-profits, for example, or even help governments in terms of what they're doing. You see it in walking into a store. You can tell it right away in terms of how the employees are dealing with things. Now, I, I want to step back here because I do think that under new management, Walmart is trying to become much more of a balanced company. But, boy, they're really having a lot of trouble because they have dug themselves into a hole. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think also, um, and I, you know, you know more about that. And if you want to talk about what that is, I'd be happy to hear it. But I also think that part of the uh, the issue is around how they relate to their vendors. Their, That's right. Yeah. Is that what you mean by partners, business yes. partners? Uh-huh. Uh, okay. And, and so that there, you add another uh, stakeholder, and mm-hmm. that is dealing with vendors. Uh, Walmart has been out to take every cent they can mm-hmm. out of vendor profit. And I, if you look at uh, Costco, they have focused heavily upon cutting the cost of goods that are coming in. 
mm-hmm. but they've also developed good partnerships with vendors and trying to help them in that process. Yeah, so it's not adversarial. Space. They're not out to, no, no. I mean, they do care whether that partner stays yes. in business or yep. not, as opposed to maximizing the dollar. You know, years ago, I worked for MCI. And at the time, the word on the street was that MCI was full of barracudas. You know, they, they didn't know. And it was a McGowan, you know, after, after, after. Um, and it was, you know, I didn't even know what that meant. But, but it was very different than an AT&T, for example, which had lifetime employees and, right. you know, sound right. principles and money went back into the community. McGowan could have cared less, you know. And, yes. In yes. fact, uh, this is what I had to quickly share. Well, somebody in HR suggested that they uh, have a wellness program for employees. He pointed to one of the towers outside and he said, if they want wellness, have them climb that. <laughs> you know, I, I guess that would be the picture of this kind of person. So we well, have... if you can, uh, a quick uh, quick look also, look at Marriott. Marriott oh, yeah. has a very strong set of principles which guides it. A tremendous commitment to their people. And the changes, of course, taking place now are going to be interesting. But top leadership at Marriott is always out there in the field, mm-hmm. talking to employees, constantly doing research on what's happening. And with that, a tremendous commitment to uh, the public itself. Mm-hmm. Well, we're also talking about different groups of employees, different levels of skills. And perhaps uh, Walmart sees its employees as a disposable element, whereas other companies see them as a really critical part of their ability to make yeah, money. Yeah, the difference between looking at employees as assets and uh, costs. Yeah, as, exactly, exactly. So we have, uh, in this case, these fabulous examples. So what should I, as a small business person, manager consider as I as I grow my business what are the things that you would tell them to think about well let, let me come back to suggest the uh, four P's I've talked about first be very clear about what your principles are be very clear as I'm simply talking about values what is it that you really value and be able to articulate those in such a way that you understand them and your employees understand them Secondly, be very clear. Wait a minute, Jeff, it occurs to me that I'm going to be doing this again to you. So hold that thought, will you? Okay. We'll be right back after our final break. This is Cindy Gurner talking to Dr. Tom, uh, Jeff Lynn. Tom was our first one. You're listening to The Workforce Show, and we're on Radio 1240 WCEM and stream live on MTS Live. And I also want to thank our underwriters, Dorchester County Economic Development, Identica, and a special thanks to our partners. And, folks, if you want a link to some of these podcasts before we get these on site, we're working on getting them up on SoundCloud, uh, please email me at info at the Workforce Show, and we will send you the, the programs that you're most interested in. Or go to my website, www.careercentralonline.com, and sign up for the email. We'll be right back. Uh, hey, like us on Facebook, okay? Okay. So what about the last eight minutes? What do you want? Oh, this is so good. <laughs> I should be in your class, Jeff. Can I come up? Okay. <laughs> All right. The last, I want, I want you to kind of go back and start, you know, okay. with what you, okay. what we interrupted you with. And also, um, I'd like to, since I got a lot of my blurbs in early, so we didn't have to cut you off at the end. Um, I'd also like, if there are any 
recommendations you have uh, after you go through this, you know, the takeaways, what people should do. Are there any books or resources that you would suggest that uh, a person who wants to maintain uh, an ethical environment while at the same time making profit maybe turn to? Okay. Um, boy, that, that's a long list. What I'm going to have to do is send you. Well, that's going to be too hard. Let's not worry about that. We probably don't even have time anyway. Yeah, but. okay. I was, I was going to send you something you might want to put up on the website, but it's, it's too long a list. Oh, okay. Yeah, don't do that. But I'll t- I want to talk to you afterwards about what I want to send out because uh, it occurred to me one of the things I want to do, and I, this is a good time to start doing it, is do a summary of the radio program with the link to the program and, and create uh, like a little short PowerPoint that I can put up on SlideShare. And that's a very good idea. You like that? Okay. So but I'll run, if I do, I'll run that by you and get okay. your input into it. That way it also promotes GW. Yes, <laughs> it does. Promotes yeah. you. Maybe GW will become a sponsor. What do you think? Uh, it's possible. Oh, hey, neat. All right. Uh, all right. Let's start uh, again. Uh, hold on one second. I'm going to reset it. Welcome back, folks. I am sorry to say we're in our last final segment of this conversation with Dr. Jeff Len, who is with George Washington University's Professor of Strategic Management and Public Policy. And it's a fascinating conversation. As you know, we're, we're, we're concerned about the middle class, about having you know, stagnant incomes, etc. And Jeff is presenting to us a model that as managers and as individuals, you can look at to make decisions about your own future go ahead uh i'm sorry i had to cut you off the last time so why don't you start again okay what what i suggest to uh small medium-sized businesses is first look at principles and look at what your values really are be clear about those and be able to articulate those and make sure your employees understand that at all the principles really are the foundation not of the company but your vision itself and then to look at the other three P's, in this case, products, looking very carefully at products and services, um, making sure that they are creating, that you're creating and distributing quality products and services to meet customer needs. And that's where innovation comes in. Uh, quality and innovation go together. Secondly, then, people. Thinking about the stakeholders of your company, I've mentioned four here. Uh, customers, employees, uh, owners or shareholders, which in this case may be you or your family, and the public. Customers, employees, owners, and the public. And be aware that those are four critical stakeholders of your enterprise. And with that, to understand who they are and develop a very strong relationship from them. And then finally, not to forget profitability. You can't be in business unless you're profitable. So you're looking at your revenue and your cost, and you're looking at profitability over a short and long period of time. So the foundation of that are principles, and then you've got products, people, and profitability to make it work. Hmm. So I'm a business person, and I'm trying to juggle all of this around. Is there a reasonable profit that a business should be making? Yes. Mm-hmm. What? What is it? Well, <laughs> it depends. first of all, it depends on the industry. Um, so if you look at uh, the food industry, the profit is very small. 
and therefore you're looking at your you're looking at your um, your volume. Uh, if you look at the oil industry, the profit is very high, so you're looking at it in a very different way. Uh, the key aspect there is to recognize that business is built upon profitability, and that's really what you have to do. My my suggestion here is that profitability in many ways becomes a measure of your success uh, in both your products and your people. Are there companies that have been profitable that have, because of the shifting economic uh, climate, have become less profitable and yet they hung on uh, and adjusted their profit expectations knowing that at the end of the tunnel there would be profit again? I believe there are, yeah. A good example of that is IBM. Uh, IBM uh, went through a very tough period in which they were struggling with their product line. And IBM changed dramatically in the the business they're in. And with that, they became profitable one more time. Uh Uh, IBM looked very carefully at their principles. Some of the principles were... um, uh, needed really be uh, downplayed, like lifetime commitment to their employees. Right. But on the other hand, uh, IBM looked very carefully and knew that they really had to focus on their employees, had to recruit and retain their best employees. Mm-hmm. So that would be an example of a company, I think, that's gone through a really tough time and come back on the other side. You know, that period, the first time that IBM went through that, never before heard of period where they were laying people off or letting people go Uh, it was I mean it was very frightening for everybody watching it because it's like AT&T is being split up and these things don't happen but one of the things they did do is in response to employees uh, they gave them a very long time to prepare for that transition Mm -hmm. and allowed them a lot of opportunities to even be contract employees and and to take early retirements. I mean, this is when early retirement started Mm -hmm. (laughs) to be encouraged. So I think they were looking at a lot of possibilities. I remember, too, uh, after 9-11, when one of the big aerospace uh, industry companies, right after 9-11, laid every, you know, just laid like half of their workforce off. And Kiplinger, the publisher of Kiplinger magazine, went on NPR with a letter, <laughs> which he read, about how distraught he was that this company had done that, that these companies have funds that are available to sustain people, to, to sustain a yep. company during this yep. tough time. But yet the critics of that letter and of him would say, well, they owed it to their stockholders. What does that mean to you? Well, there again, I, I think that's where you start balancing your um, your key your your four key groups, which are customers, employees, shareholders, and public. And I'm not suggesting it's going it's easy, but never to eliminate one of those with the assumption that the other three will carry you mm-hmm. uh, into the future. Yeah. Well, we have, uh, we're about running out of time, and we've had this fascinating conversation with Dr. Lynn of George Washington University School of Business on balancing principles and profits in the workplace. And I think that as the business people listening to this program, look at the mirror uh, and look at how you want to be known as an individual and as a business 
by in your community and in the world because I think ultimately that impacts the quality, not only of your reputation, but of the product and service that you're you're creating. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. Let me let me suggest one thing. I was in uh, Saturday. I, I'm going to leave the name out of this. Shopping in a, a large uh, home improvement company, and I was waiting, waiting, waiting to see the guy who was in charge of windows. I spent uh, probably 15 minutes with the manager of the store, and they've gone. This company's gone through a lot of change. Um, we had a really interesting discussion. You can tell when you walk in now to this store that there are people there who care about you. People who are knowledgeable. I know what store you're talking about. And in that process, <laughs> the change is really dramatic. Yeah. And she had been there uh, through um, about, I guess, about 20 years. Oh, wow. And what she talked about is how much easier it is for her now to not simply look at profitability for the store. I mean, that's still there. But now see the business as a an enterprise in which people enjoy. And she wants together. to help them become profitable. Yeah, right? that's right. Okay. That's right. Oh, we're out of time. Folks, uh, please come back next week. We have uh, Eric uh, Kresge, who's a great storyteller, helping you brand. And we have a woman, Margaret Hepburn, who has written a book uh, on unwilling, uh, unwillingness, our, our blindness to some of these issues. Uh, you are listening to The Workforce Show on Radio 1240 WCEM AM, streaming live on mtslive.com, and like us on Facebook. Thanks. Have a good week.